0: to celebrate Mother's Day, some special deliverers, and you're going to have to help them out because they're not exactly trained in this, uh, but the, we've got some special delivery people today, and they are going to give you a gift. And so uh, if you are, we're celebrating Mother's Day, but we're celebrating mothers and daughters really today. So any of the ladies in the room, you're going to get to have one of these. So special delivery people, go ahead and go to it. All the, they're going to deliver these to you. Um, and I'm just going to kind of talk how they do that. So you go up and find all the ladies in the room. They're all over the place. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of them there. See, we've got a lot of delivery people. Isn't this awesome? Like I said, they don't have uniforms, but that's the only thing that we're lacking with this. So, so kids, you go ahead and hand them out. Go ahead and hand them out to uh, all the ladies that you find in the room. <laughs> You're doing an awesome job. You can tell it's their first day on the job, guys. You know, just help, help them out. Help them out. First day on the job here. First day. We're training all of them how to do this. <laughs> Some of them are finding their own mothers. I can see that. So, And if you have not gotten one, can you raise your hand if you haven't gotten a, a tri- uh, one of these gifts yet? Okay, right there. And right here in the middle, a couple in the middle, this way. Hannah, right here. There we go, right here, guys. Yep. Awesome. Anybody else still in the... Okay, we got some more over here. Awesome. Some more right over here, guys. See their hands, they have their hands up. (laughs) Very, very good, everybody. (laughs) All right, anybody else? We've got, I think we're getting them. And then a couple more back there in the back, and I think we're set. Everybody got one? Anybody? Guys? No, you can't have the hand sanitizer. I'm sorry. We'll celebrate you later. We'll give you a screwdriver or something on Father's Day. Or chocolate, one of the two. I don't know. We'll see. All right. Moms are like, no, no, don't do, you do chocolate for us, right? <laughs> All right, everybody good? Can we get everybody? That takes a little longer, but a little more fun, huh? Right? That's just kind of the way to do this. Hey, let's, let's give the kids a hand for coming in and delivering. Thank you, kiddos. <laughs> the truth is... Um, Mother's Day, we celebrate mothers, we celebrate daughters, we just celebrate this institution that God has ordained to just kind of take care of things. And we we recognize, I mean, there, there there is a side of Mother's Day that's hard because some of us, we've already lost our mothers, right? Or maybe we didn't know our mother as well as we wanted to or things like that. So it can be a hard day, we acknowledge that. But we also want to celebrate mothers and daughters today because it is just a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing. And so I think that the best thing that we can do, and we did this last year. We might do this every year. This is just what we do. We just want to pause for a moment, and we want to ask for a special blessing on mothers and daughters and just on womanhood even today, and just, just ask for God's special anointing on that. And I just want to pray for you mothers in the room for that reason. And so would you just join me in doing that? Because it's just a very, very important, very special thing. So let's do that. Let's just lift them up. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for... uh, I'm, I'm thinking of my mother who's here in the room. I'm so thankful for her and everything that she poured out. I'm thankful for my wife who is a mother to my children. I think of all the mothers and daughters in the room. God, I just pray for a double dose, an extra set of blessings for them today. May you help them to know how much they are loved. And how incredibly important they are. May your love be poured out upon them today. May they realize the importance, the value that they have. Lord, you've given value to all people, but today we specifically are honoring mothers and daughters and womanhood. And thank you, Lord, for the, the way that you have anointed things. I think about the things that my mom and my, my wife do that I just know I can't do. <laughs> And I'm so thankful for that. So, God, we pray that your peace and your blessing and your power would flow through everyone here today. But specifically, we just lift mothers to you and we thank you for them. May you just bring that extra special blessing to them today. May they feel truly honored today. And we pray this in your name, Jesus, the name above all names. Amen. Thank you for being here today. We are currently in a series called A.D. in which we are looking at the events and the specific things that the first followers of Jesus had to go through, had to experience when they were given the mission. Jesus gave them a mission when he rose from the grave and he ascended to heaven. He gave the first followers of Jesus in that first century. He gave them the mission to carry the love of Jesus out to the world. And so what we are doing in this series, we are taking a look at all, this, all the stories, all the uh, happenings that, that really occurred with the first followers of Jesus in the first few weeks and months following Jesus' ascension to heaven. So that's what we're in right now. Before we get real deep into it, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever uh, been on your way to somebody's house? You've maybe been on a route, and now this doesn't happen as often because we have these things. They're called smartphones. And and so they're really smart, and so they can navigate us everywhere. So this may not have happened to you recently, but have you ever been on a route, and you turned a corner, and you thought the route was going to work out, but you ended up seeing a sign like this? Right? Maybe you're out in the country, maybe you're somewhere, and you're like, yeah, this is going to get me there, and you're like, no, it's not. What am I doing? Right? And sometimes my phone has done this to me. I'm like, this is not a smartphone as they told me. I want my money back, right? <laughs> but but that's sometimes we come on this. Let me take this one step further. Have you ever gotten to a point in your life where you made a choice, you made a decision and you ended up seeing this sign in your life? And you hit a place where you go, "Oh, this is not what I intended." This is not where I thought it was going. Maybe you've made some choices. Maybe you got into a relationship, maybe into a situation. Maybe you chose a job or a career, or maybe you moved from one place to another location. You thought it was going to be this thing, and it turned out not to be. And you came around the corner. It said, road closed, right? It was shut down. Something in your life, you weren't planning on whatever it was to happen this way. The relationship wasn't supposed to turn out that way. The job was supposed to be this particular kind of thing, but it didn't turn out that way. Have you ever run into a situation in your life where it was like road closed? And I don't know about you, but when you kind of come on those times, it may feel like your road, like your life is leading to something like this. Let's show this next one. Right? Have you ever gotten to a place in your life where you felt like you literally had nowhere to go? You were in such despair, like the relationship ended or the job ended or what you thought was going to happen doesn't happen. And all of a sudden you literally you're on a road and you're in your life. You're, you're, you made choices. And let's be honest, it's a combination of choices that we make. And it's a combination of ah, welcome to life. Right. And by the way, it's a little heavily more weighted on the choices that we make. Right. We don't like to admit that, but it is. But these things we go and then all of a sudden we end up this place and we look and it feels like this we're like, how did I get here? How am I in this place with these people who don't care about me and, and all these things? And it becomes a dead end. It just becomes a cliff that is in our way, just completely just blocks us off. Well, the reason I bring that up is because I think the first followers of Jesus in the passage that we're going to look at today, I think that they probably felt that way. My guess is they probably had some sense of this dead end thing. They, they, they didn't know what was going on. Because the passage we're going to look at directly correlates. We're going to pick up right where we left off last Sunday. So what I want to do is I want to to kind of uh, re-up from last Sunday. Let's summarize really quickly what we talked about last uh, last Sunday. Because what we're going to talk about today literally happens the second after what we talked about last Sunday. Okay, Last Sunday we talked about a guy named Stephen. Stephen is... He's a brand new follower of Jesus. He just accepted Jesus. He believes in him for the first time, brand new. Very, very new to this. But he's also extremely passionate. Remember what I said last week? Uber passionate. Yes, I'm from the 80s. What are you going to do about it? All right, Uber passionate. I mean, he loves Jesus with everything that's in him, everything that, that he can. He loves Jesus. He's passionate about him. And so, therefore, he tells everybody he can about Jesus. He's preaching, he's telling people, he's living the way that he should. He's saying, no, Jesus would want me to forgive. He would want me to be generous. He would want me to tell others about Jesus. So he does. Well, some people don't like him for it. And so they drag Stephen off and they throw him into the temple before the Sanhedrin, which is that religious high council, 71 guys that have the Bibles essentially memorized. And he goes before them and they say, is this true? Are you talking about Jesus? Are you doing all these things? And he says, yeah, but let me tell you about Jesus. (laughs) Let me tell you what I know about Jesus. And he starts preaching. He tells them everything he can. Well, they don't like it. They hate him. In fact, they get their hatred up so much that they drag him out of the temple and they start throwing stones at him to kill him. And last week, that's what we talked about. He becomes, Stephen becomes the first martyr in the world to be literally, and martyr simply is the first person to be killed just simply because he believes in Jesus. He wasn't killed for any other reason, racial or ethnic or anything like that. In this case, Stephen was killed because he believed in Jesus. That was the reason. And so he becomes the first martyr in all of history. And and, and so what I want to do is I want to pick up the last few, literally last few seconds of Stephen's life. i want to read that out of the passage of Scripture that talks about that. We read this last week, but I want to read this because what we're going to do is we're going to take the story right off the very second after this. We're going to read the next passage, and that's what we're going to focus on today. So here's Acts chapter 7, verses 59 and 60. As they stoned him, as they were throwing stones at him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. In other words, I'm giving you my life, Jesus. He fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Now, as I mentioned last week, if we know nothing else about Stephen, really, this last line is all we need to know. Because what is that last line saying? All that last line is saying is Stephen truly must be filled with the Holy Spirit, must be filled with the power of God in his life. Because there's no way, when somebody is actually taking your life, that you would pray to God and you would say, God, please forgive them for doing this to me. That's what Stephen's doing. He's saying, God, please forgive them for taking my life. See the, the amazing love there? Forgiveness that Stephen had within him? It's unbelievable. It's hard to imagine, but this is where he's at. And, and, and I want you to think of the first believers in Jesus. A lot of them were around and they saw this happen. The believers in Jesus who were there in the city of Jerusalem. And so they were watching this. And my guess is, would you think that probably they felt like this was somewhat of a major dead end, a major roadblock I mean, if you take this down the road a little ways and they think, okay, if they are willing to do this to Stephen and he's a brand new follower of Jesus. And that's the only reason it stands to reason. If we start telling others about Jesus, if we start living our lives committed to Jesus Christ, this is probably going to happen to us. It probably became very quickly to them like this is a roadblock. This is a dead end street. What are we going to do? Probably a lot of really no hope. I mean, if you see somebody that you believe with, that you are in arms with and that your brother and sister in Christ and they are killed in front of you. how would you feel? Right. Wouldn't you have despair? And so this is what's going on. So what I want to do is now we're going to pick up the story right from that very moment. We're going to go to the next chapter. If you'd like to follow along, we're going to be in Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to be. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. That's where we're going to be if you like to follow along on your own. Uh, and we're going to take off right from that second when Stephen dies and talk about what happens next. All right. So Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Saul was one of the witnesses who saw Stephen being murdered, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. Now, this is the very next line. This guy named Saul, we're not going to talk about him hardly at all today. The reason we need to know this, though, is because he becomes a huge key player in the next several weeks of our series when we talk about A.D. Saul becomes kind of the central figure now uh, for the next several series. We're not going to talk about him exclusively, but he is a big part of almost everything that happens from here on out. Saul hates believers in Jesus. Hates them with a passion. He wants to get rid of him at all costs. And so he's here applauding Stephen's murder. Yep, get him, guys, get him. Okay, can, if you can imagine the evil that is going on with this man. Okay? This is Saul watching and applauding Stephen's murder. Okay? So we move on. The rest of verse 1. After this, a great wave of persecution began that day. Sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now, literally, we're only going to read a couple verses today because there's so much packed into here. Okay, so let's unpack this verse for just a minute. A great wave of persecution. What is persecution? Very simply, persecution, because we think of it in a lot of different ways. Persecution in this case simply means any scare tactics, any brutality, any threats, any actual danger, killing throwing in prison, whatever the case is, anything, persecution is anything that somebody does against somebody else because of what they believe. It's called persecution. A great wave of persecution, threats, brutality, violence, throwing them into prison, killing them, whatever they could do to really hurt them. That's what started that very day. And by the way, everything was led by this guy named Saul. Lots of persecution against what? What does it say? Against and sweeping over the what? The church. Now, it says the church, and this is where sometimes the Bible we've translated it somewhat poorly. Actually, they've translated it really well. Uh, our culture's just messed it up. You guys, you guys know this is this is my soapbox, right? Because uh, and you're never going to stop hearing about this because it drives me crazy. Our American culture has destroyed the word church. We don't know what church is. We think of when I say the word church, one of two things generally comes to mind. We think of a building. Oh, there's the church. No, it's not. That's a building. It's not the church. We call it the church. It's not the church. A church is not a building. Did you know that a church is not a building? Let's do. You know what? Just for fun, everybody say that with me. Church is not a building. Awesome. See, I feel better about life already. We're changing the world. Good. Right. Church is absolutely not a building ever. Not a, it never has been. It never will be. It never has been. It never will be. So when it says sweeping over the church, it's not talking about a building. The other thing that we also say is we say we're going to church. You can't go to church unless I'm coming to your house or unless you're coming to my house. Then you might be going to church because I'm the church. You're the church. All of us are the church. The church is people. Okay, let, let, me, let me help explain this. If You know that the Bible is not originally written in English, right? It wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek. In the New Testament, it was originally written in Greek. The, the word that we translate to say church, we call it church, and we've messed up that word in our culture. I kind of made that point now. The church, it says the church, but we translate it from a different word. It was not church in English. It was in Greek. The word that we use is ecclesia. Ekklesia, it's a Greek word, and literally when you translate this word, we've translated it to church, which is, eh, in our culture, it doesn't work very well. And so, Ekklesia, when you translate this word directly, it means a group of people. Specifically, it means a group of people centered around a common or core belief or theme. So, when this passage is saying a great wave of persecution began sweeping over the church, The Ecclesia, it is saying, is sweeping over a group of people known as the followers of Jesus. Does that make sense? So this is is really important to know because, you know, persecution against a building is just like, oh, that's too bad. It just doesn't have quite the same thing, does it? That's because it wasn't a building. They didn't have a building. They wouldn't have a building for a long time. Church, this whole church building thing is a fairly recent construct in history, world history, so to speak. This is a group of people who are being harassed, hurt, brutalized because they believe in Jesus. Okay, We need to understand that it's important. So then let's go on. What happens as a result of this persecution? It says, then, all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. And remember, Saul is leading the charge on this thing. So what happens? Well, they have to go somewhere. I mean, people are trying to kill them. People are trying to throw them into prison, so they have to get out. So where do they go? The Bible tells us. Where do they go? They go to Judea and Samaria. They go to Judea and Samaria. Where is Judea and Samaria? It's right around Jerusalem. Go ahead and go to the map and we can see that. Judea and Samaria, if you see, Jerusalem is right in the middle there. You can't see the words very well. I understand it's small. Right in the middle of that white part is uh, the center of Judea. So they spread out into the rest of Judea and then they go north also into an area called Samaria. Literally thousands of believers in Christ escape the city of Jerusalem and they start spreading to Judea and Samaria. Now, I don't know about you, but this sounds a little bit like some of the news that we've been hearing recently. By the way, we, kind of, we sometimes think of the Bible as a nice, neat little package of stories. It's not stories. It's real. It happened. And by the way, this is happening today. There are Christians, there are followers of Jesus who are running for their very lives this morning as we speak. You and I, and we know this, don't we? We've been hearing about ISIS. They are chasing families away. And we kind of, when we hear it on the news, it's kind of like, man, that would be awful. But think about it. They've left their homes. They've left everything they own. They left their businesses. They've left everything they, that you can, if you put any stock in anything in your life right now, they've left that because they believe in Jesus. Talk about another level. This is what the believers in the first century were dealing with. They're like they have to leave their homes, their businesses, everything about life that they know, that they give that give them security, a job, income, everything. And they are now running for their lives and they're going to this. I don't know about you, but would you say this is a great situation? Would we say that? No. No. This is a horrible situation. It's awful. It's terrible. It's, it's one of the worst things we can imagine. I mean, if you think about it, let, let's, let's put it in perspective. Okay? Let's say that today they pass laws that say you and I, all people in Dane County, we're just going to use Dane County because this is where we live, in Dane County, they've made a law that says we cannot talk about Jesus, we cannot gather in the name of Jesus, we cannot do what we're doing now, we can't read your Bible, you can't own a Bible. And you definitely can't read it. And you definitely are not allowed to tell people about it. And if you do, the punishment, you know how we have laws, and then we have something to back up the laws. So they make the law, and then they have something to back up. If you do, then you have all the way from you can be imprisoned, you can be fined, or you can be executed. That's the standard. In Dane County, that's what you're going to do. So the, the, the choice for you and I, if that happens... If that happens, this is what the first century Christians were dealing with. If that happens, then what are our choices? Well, one, we can stay here, and we can deny Christ. And we say, that Jesus thing? No. Northridge, I've never heard of it. Right? Bible? No, I don't have a Bible. Right? And we can just deny Christ. We can deny that we believe it. We can deny that it exists. And we just live our life, and we keep our business, and we keep our home, and we keep our cars, and we do what we do. Or... We can choose to stay here and live here. And we say, well, I'm not going to deny Christ. I'm going to read my Bible regardless of what government tells me. I'm going I'm I'm to share the love of Jesus with everybody regardless of what they say is going to be the punishment. I'm going to do this regardless. And we just take the results of what happens. Maybe we're in prison. Maybe we have the death penalty. Maybe we're fined, whatever the case is. Or a third option is we leave Dane County. You literally, like it happens today, and tomorrow it's all going to come down and hit the fan, so to speak, and so you've got to get out. And so you grab all your heirlooms, whatever is really important to you in your house, and you grab and you pack everything in as many bags and suitcases as you can, and you and your family, you just run. You start going. You're like, okay, we're going to go to Montana, right? We're going to go somewhere. I don't know. We're going to go somewhere. And you get out. This is what the first century Christians were dealing with. This is what they had to work through. So now, this seems like a horrible situation, but here's the deal. This is where God is pretty awesome. God is going to take Stephen's death, his murder. God is going to take this scattering of the believers, and he is going to take this and make it into something incredibly beautiful and incredibly powerful. God knows they're suffering. He knows that they're being attacked. But he's going to take this and he's going to use it for a lot of good. Okay, let's go to verse 4 in chapter 8. How does this happen? This is what happens. But the believers who were scattered, they're running for their lives, preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Here's the beauty. Have you ever tried to knock a hornet's nest out of a tree? Have you ever tried to stomp out an anthill? What happens when you start doing those things? Have you ever tried that? It doesn't turn out very well. And by the way, the next day, everything's back, (laughs) right? I mean, it doesn't happen. When you try to stomp something out like that or or knock it out, what happens? The, The release of energy is incredible, isn't it? It's powerful. Well, this is what was going on with the first believers in Jesus. The, the people came in. They were trying to stomp them into the ground. They were trying to beat them down into persecution. But what happened was they just decided, okay, well, we're going to get out. But instead of denying Christ and saying, God, why would you do this to us? We lost our homes and our businesses and all this. Ah! Instead of doing that, they left, but with the joy of Christ in them. And as they went, what does it say? As they went, as they were scattered, they preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. In other words, they said, this is really not good. But you know what? We still love Jesus. We're going to share him with everybody we find. And guess what? They found a lot of people. Judea and Samaria and all these other places. I mean, they, they go all these, these areas and they carry Jesus with them because Jesus is in them. And they carry Jesus all over to, to the rest of that. Now, Judea and Samaria, what is this connected to in history during this time? It's also connected, very well connected, because this, they, they were really good at building roads. What do we call this? We call this the Roman Empire. Okay? it spread out beyond this, and it goes all the way around the Mediterranean Sea. Because as the believers scattered, then they shared Jesus. And then those people shared Jesus. And then those people said, hey, have you heard about this guy named Jesus? He gave his life for us. And then boom, boom, boom. And it goes. And because the Roman Empire was really well connected with roads, the message of Christ begins to spread all the way across. And eventually it gets to a pretty large area. We also call it earth. I mean, it goes pretty far. And hence, if you really want to think about it, Because of Stephen standing up for Christ in the first century, guess what? You and I are here today in a village center in Wisconsin. That's pretty incredible. None of that happens unless the believers were scattered. And none of that happens if they didn't, when they were scattered, they didn't kind of mope and, oh, this is horrible. And instead, they carried the love of Jesus with them. Right? Something beautiful came out of this. It was uh, the summer of 1988, and it was in Yellowstone National Park. Yellowstone National Park had uh, just started to get hit by the worst set of forest fires it had ever known, at least in recorded history. Of course, before we started recording it, we don't know, but the worst one that we know of, 1988. I mean, the fires were just ravaging through the park. Just horrible. It was one of these things where lightning actually struck several places in the park because it's so dry. And, and because of human, there was a few human problems that, that happened as well. And all these little fires were sparked all over the park. And eventually, over a matter of several weeks, all the fires all blew together and become one massive, huge fire, forest fire. And it began to burn tons and tons of Yellowstone National Park, the forest all over the mountains. In fact, I want to show you a couple of satellite images. The first one on the left is 1987, the summer before. The one on the right is 1989, the summer after. Okay, you can see the scars, the burn scars from the satellite image of what, what the Yellowstone National Park looked like. In fact, my family was there the, the summer after this happened. Pretty amazing stuff. But it was burned. In fact, just to put this in perspective, uh, if you were to count up all the acreage that was burned that summer in Yellowstone National Park, it would be the equivalent of the entire state of Delaware burning to the ground. That's, that's how big of an area burned that summer in, in Yellowstone. One of those things, I mean, if you look, at, if you think about this, right, this seems like a horrific situation, doesn't it? I mean, it was, I mean, if you saw the devastation, it was, it was complete. It was complete. And it was just, everything was charred. Everything was gone. And what we thought was this was a horrible tragedy for a long time. But what we realized was there was something very beautiful that was going on as a result of this horrific summer. You know what happened? As a result of this, there was some brand new, incredible new life and new energy that was created. Let's go to that picture and show this. You see the thousands of new, brand new pine trees? This was an area that was burned in 1988. This is just a few years later. Tons and tons, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of new pine trees that were planted as a result of this fire. What we began to learn was that Yellowstone is covered in a specific kind of pine tree. They're called lodgepole pine trees. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of a pine cone from a pine tree, uh, you know, you, we get certain things in our mind, right? I don't know about you, but we have a basket of pine cones in our, in our house. It's awesome because it looks beautiful. Or, you know, it's, it's, and sometimes they sprinkle glitter on them. And sometimes they douse them with cinnamon, Something else, right? And you go, ooh, the pine cone smells nice, you know? The evergreen is not good enough, so we're like, let's put some cinnamon on there, or let's decorate it, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, this is the idea we get of a pine cone, right? Sorry, dear, I'm not making fun of your pine cones in the basket in our house. They look beautiful. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day to you. Hey? Pine cone, I mean, you know, this is, this is what we get, though. This is what we get the sense of. We're like, oh, this beautiful little open pine cone. Mmm, so cute, right? And this is what we get the sense of, but what we found out is the lodgepole pine cones in Yellowstone and all over the Rocky Mountains out west, they're a very different kind of pine cone. They don't open up like this. They don't do this. Most pine trees do this. Lodgepole pine trees, they don't. You know what they look like? This is what they look like. They're incredibly tightly Stuck together. In fact, the lodgepole pine trees, they create a natural sticky resin is what they call it. This is all scientific. This is beyond me. But anyway, it, it's a resin, and it sticks these pine cones together really, really tightly. It's like super glue that Tanya was talking about earlier, right? All right? Super glue. And these, these things are really tightly so that the fact is the only way to naturally get these pine cones to open, guess what? Really intense, very high temperatures. It's the only way to open those pine cones, which means they require forest fire. So Yellowstone was naturally reseeded, almost 40% of the park. Accomplished in one summer what would have taken us decades to try to do. Just like that. This pine cone needed... In fact, they say that there's a scientific term for this. This, is, uh, so this pine cone is called serotonous. That's what it's called. And simply what is... Anything that's serotonous, what it means is it requires a natural trigger to, do, to, to create new life. It needs a trigger to open up. It needs a trigger to create new life or new energy. And so this pine cone does that. The reason I bring this up Here's where I'm going with this. You and I, if we are followers of Jesus, if we are followers of Jesus, if we claim to believe in Christ, then we are kind of like this. And sometimes we require a trigger for us to release the new life that is in us. Isn't it true that you and I, the Bible declares and promises, if you have Christ, if you believe in Jesus, that you carry within you incredible hope, incredible love, incredible power that is available to you only by God. It says that we carry it within us. And so if that is true, then sometimes what is required of you and I is a trigger to release that new life to those around us. And the question is, what is that? Because sometimes the trigger, sometimes the persecution has to raise our spiritual temperature. Do you ever go through times where Jesus is just not as relevant to you? My guess is probably there is. Have you ever gone through time when you haven't picked up the Bible in a long time? Maybe ever. And maybe God says, it's time to pick that up. It's time to get that. It's time to realize the spiritual temperature needs to be raised. Because I need the pine cone to open. I need you to release the life that has been given to you. So it might be, for example, it might be that people are giving you a hard time. Persecution for us, because we live in an amazing country, for us persecution is not like threat of force or brutality or violence usually. Right now, anyway, in this time in history, in this country, we don't have to worry about that too much. But in other parts of the world, we do. Believers in Jesus do. But for you and I, persecution might be that people make fun of you. Or maybe you say, you know what, I can't do that on Sunday because I go to church and and it's really important to me, I need to do that. And people look at you like, but there's a concert. Like, I have free tickets. Why would you do that? That's the level of persecution that we get, isn't it? It, it? it might be at school and people find out that you go to a church or that you believe in Jesus. And, and so your friends might make fun of you. And it's maybe why you hide who you are to them. And, and all these persecutions, all these things, but you and I, we carry new life within us. And the question is, what is that trigger? Are, is God creating triggers in your life right now? Some of you can probably pinpoint them right now. Some of you, are there triggers that God is doing in you right now that are giving you an opportunity to open this new life possibility? And by the way, sometimes the triggers aren't bad. In fact, in this country, a lot of times the triggers aren't bad. A lot of times they are. But in this country, a lot of times the triggers are not bad. For example, if you get a new job, guess what? That's a trigger. You know what that trigger is? That trigger is that God is now giving you a brand new opportunity in a brand new environment with a whole brand new set of people that you did not know previously to be able to share the love of Christ with. Instead, here's what I know. This is what I do. What I tend to do is I get into a new situation and I put my nose to the grindstone and I just start hammering away. I'm like, I got to learn everything. I got to show them I'm awesome. I'm going to show them that I am really worth it. I am good. That's not a bad thing. We should work to our fullest potential. But is there another reason that you're there? Yes. God says, "This is the people around you are fertile soil. You can't, you can't see it yet, but they have dead-end signs in their life. They, have, they are living in despair. They have no hope. They don't believe they have any value. They're not going to tell you this, but that's how they feel. And you have the love of Christ in you, and guess what? You can give them hope. You can give them love. You can give them joy. And this is why I've placed you there. For example, another trigger. This is, this is a harder one. But here's another trigger. Maybe you get a raise at work. This is a good thing, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but how many of you are like, oh, you come home and you tell your husband or your wife, I got a raise at work today. ah uh, gonna pay me. They're gonna pay me two hundred extra dollars a month. It's like I don't know why they're doing this. <laughs> no, we don't react that way. Of course we don't. We're like, hey, guess what? You like, you probably go out to eat. You get steak, and you're like, woo! You know, because you like, you haven't gotten paid yet. It's not coming for three months, but you're like, I'm gonna spend it now. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> raise, you know. <laughs> I mean, that's how we feel, isn't it? That's how I feel. I mean, like, woo! Raise the roof. There it is. See eighties. That's more like 90s, but it's okay, right? But I mean, we're just, we get excited. But here's the deal. Why did God give you that raise? Why did you have that? Because you worked hard? Yeah, absolutely. For sure you did. You deserve it too. But one of the major triggers there is it gives you incredible, immediate opportunity to be more generous and more giving than you ever have before. Doesn't it? You know you can survive on this. And now you just got a raise that will give you more. And instead, what sometimes we start thinking of is like, Woo, Cancun! Right? Let me, just, let me just put it this way. I'm, I'm okay with you thinking, Cancun, over here. Okay? But uh, I want you also to think of somebody in need over here. Don't you think God probably... Do you think God was like, Yep, I want him to hoop it up in Cancun better be honest. God is saying, I gave you that so that you can bless more people. You know what? Maybe the most evil thing in the world is, is you and I being blessed by God so that we can just get fat and sassy on it, right? Woo! Keep bringing the blessings, Lord. I am getting more and more comfortable here. That's about as evil as it gets, isn't it? No, no. The Bible's very clear. God blesses us So that we can then be a blessing. Right? If there's one thing in the United States that we probably need to get. That would be the one. God gives us great blessing in order to give as great a blessing as we can to everyone around us. If we have the love of Jesus in us. If we have new life within us. If we don't share it with others, we are being about as selfish as we can. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And this is what the first century believers found out. They said, it's not about a house. It's not about a job. It's not about security or comfort. It is about sharing the love of Jesus, and now we're going to share it to the rest of the world. And, they, and the first century Stephen didn't know that Wanakee, Wisconsin was going to exist hundreds of years later. But, but his standing up for Christ is what did it. So, what does it mean for you and I? Very simply. What are you gonna to do to stand up for Christ? We have it as easy as it's ever going to get here. I can I I tell you that because it's true. We have it as easy as it's ever going to get. It's only gonna get harder from here on out for our country. It's the truth. Okay? persecution is going to come back to this country. It will eventually. It's already started to happen. Okay. The truth is, it's, this is as easy as it's going to get. And so if we do not stand up for Christ now, it's going to be very difficult later. We have to stand for Christ and be willing to give new life, to be a blessing to other people. God has given us great blessings so that we can be a blessing. And the question is, for you and I, will we take up that mission? Will we take up that call? Stephen paid the ultimate price. The first century Christians left their homes, their businesses, everything they knew to follow Christ. What are we willing to do? What are you willing to do? It's up to us to take a stand. And the question is will we accept God's mission for us today? Will you be the pine cone that's willing to be opened under some pressure? We'll call it the pine cone effect. Are you willing to do that? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for all that you do. I thank you for the incredible blessing that you have given to us. Whether it's through mothers... (laughs) Whether it's through uh, other friends, whether it's just financially, whether it's through a job, whether it's through where we live, whether it's no matter what it is, God, I thank you for the blessing, the incredible blessing that you've bestowed upon us. But God, I also pray that you would help us to be willing to release blessing and to release the love of Jesus, to release the message of Christ, to not hide who we are to other people around us at work, at school, in our homes, in our communities, at community events. No matter what it is, Lord, help us to be open and bold about who we are, that we love Jesus, that we are followers of you. And as a result, God, in hundreds of years from now, there's going to be another town, another church somewhere where a group of people have gathered and they can look back at what we did hundreds of years before that we were trying to be the best blessing and be, live the best lives we possibly could for you, Jesus. May that be our legacy. May that be the future that we are able to create because of the power of you in us. I pray for this power for everybody here today. Thank you for blessing us. Now help us to be a blessing. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and worship him.
1: Lord of my salvation, Savior of my soul, send me out to the world to make you know. Jesus, King of every nation, this world's only
0: Don't forget to do those connect cards. And now, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would send us out and that you would do exactly what we just talked about. That would be an absolute, complete, incredible blessing to everyone we meet on the street, in our homes, in our
1: workplaces. At our